Hi guys and welcome back to the Toronto Real Estate Podcast. Uh, my name's Ed Layton and I work with my wife, Cheryl Layton, the glamorous Cheryl Layton, and we form a team called Show and Ed on Homes and uh, we work with the brokerage at Keller Williams Portfolio Real Estate. Um, today's date is the 24th of June. We're now, I feel like we're going into summer. Yes. I think Hooray. we're there. Yeah. Uh, and I think we've got a pretty good podcast for you today. We do. We do. Um, I was actually <laughs> laughing earlier because, um, you know, we're married. We definitely are. Working together yeah. and doing this podcast now. Yeah. And I noticed that Idris Elba, who I'm obviously a huge fan of, um, Idris and his wife uh, are now doing a podcast themselves, taking note from us, maybe. I, Idris, <laughs> I'm so glad we've been an inspiration to you. Good luck. I hope you can reach our lofty heights <laughs> as podcasters. All right. So good. So we've got company in the uh, the married couple um, podcast world. This yes. is good. Well, maybe we'll um, we'll tag him on the uh, social, see if we can get some response. We'll let you know next week if it works. Listen, so this, this week, I mean, it's been really apparent to me that uh, a lot of people are aware of what is mooted in some areas as being um, a, a cooling off in, in the real estate market. Um, I mean, the majority of this year. We've been talking about how hot it is, and now we've kind of like re- role reversaled on it, and and everybody wants to know: is it, you know, is the, you know, is the uh, the cooling off and the retraction about to happen? So I think today, shares, I think we're going to be spending some time looking at um, the underpinning of the real estate market in Toronto, um, and that means so uh, hold your breath. If anybody's got a passing interest in economics, that this will definitely be one for you. I mean, we don't profess to be trained economists, but, you know, we're, we're very, very close to, and I'm certainly very interested in economics, but we're close enough to the thinking and the patterns for this to be a, a really good podcast, I think. So strap in. Uh, we'll tie it all together at the end with what this means for you and um, uh, and and uh, you're, you're buying and indeed selling of real estate in this market. So um, so, so shares, I mean, why are people talking about the market cooling off? Well, people are talking about the market cooling off um, mainly because the media is, um, you know, there's a lot of headlines out there. Um, right. I just read Globe and Mail, Toronto housing market calls in May as exhausted buyers take a break. Very dramatic. Well done, Globe and Mail. Um, and then Bloomberg wrote, Toronto home sales slow for second month with city in lockdown. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we've talked about this, uh, you know, a lot. And, and you know, the, the media is always loving to uh, talk about the, the bubble bursting. Yeah. Well, um, that, and, you know, and the does. market has been incredibly yeah. hot. Get it, and you know a little bit insane yeah. uh, over the past few months, but I think what the reality is, it's not necessarily a cooling that's no. happening. I think what what really is going to happen over the next few months is that we are going to transition into a healthier market. Yeah, I mean everybody likes the balanced market, but but I think one of the reasons um, where there's like 
major confusion is the way that um, sales numbers have been reported, right? right? Um, you know, they, they talk about it on a month-by-month basis as opposed to the norm uh, for like year-over-year basis. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, one, one minute they're talking about month-over-month um, and then the next minute they're talking about year over year. And so it's the way that they're manifesting. The yeah, figures. I mean, it, it is incredibly confusing. It makes for a nice story. And I'm sure that's not lost on them. There's very smart people at all of those publications. But yes. it is misleading and it is a bit silly. It's not without reason. It's not like you can complain about it because if you're dealing year over year, you're dealing in the middle of, or the start of the first wave of COVID, right? So, you know, you, you will get um, some skewed results if you do year over year comparisons because there was a market pause in April and May and parts of June in 2020. Um, um, but it does make for some really eye-catching results when you do do that, um, that, that, that probably aren't representative. The, the, the reality that I can see uh, for May and, and the health of the market was that, you know, in the 416, it was the third highest number of sales were, were garnered for any May in history. Exactly. Um, and if you look at the five-year averages for May, it was up actually 25% and 10% on the 10-year averages. And you look at, our, you know, out in the 905, and it was the second biggest May ever, 37% on the five-year and 23% on the 10-year average. So if we are really talking about um, uh, trends, uh, the real trend here is that actually May was was very strong indeed. Um, so, so given that, and, and uh, you know, it's understandable on both sides, but not particularly helpful uh, journalism. Um, what, what what do you think is um, underpinning the stories then about May, May showing signs of uh, cooling Toronto housing market? Well, the only time May sales were actually less than April sales right. um, over the last 10 years were in 2017 Yeah, and, okay, in 2021. Now, in 2017, um, one of the reasons why um, sales were lower yeah. was because, yes, there was, um, you had the demand, but it declined ever so slightly in May. Right. But then what happened was listings increased. Right. Right? Yeah, supply and demand was working for the buyers, not the sellers. Yeah, yeah. but now what we're seeing in, in this, like what we saw in May 2021, was the decline in sales was really a lot to do with the supply issue yeah, that we've been talking about for the last God knows forever. how many months. Yeah, I know. Um, it's a natural uh, model, right? Right. Um, but, you know, but when you look at one of the factors, um, if you look at the average um, price that Treb uh, reports um, through the GTA, yeah. that's going up. Yeah, I know. You know. It's crazy. So <laughs> it was another record um, at a million, million eight. Oh, one, Sorry, 1.1 1. 1. 1 million and 8,453. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and which basically re- represented a 28% year over year increase from I know. May 2020. I know, I know. So, I mean, the story's nonsense, but yeah. I mean, a detached home averages, if you just look at, you know, what people talk, think of as a normal family home was 1.4 million. So it's gone up again. So, yeah. Um, 
you know that that said i think we've i think what's happening is and 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 you know if you're not looking that closely which i've got to believe actually there's so much more story in it than the ones that they're publishing um the reality is that you know we saw the increases in price mm. from november through to you sort of the end of february a bit into march i suppose and then there's been a flattering flattening in march april and may um i think some segment segments yeah. are just reaching their their like top like yeah. they're, they're just reaching their top. Um, and we have been talking about that in a, you know, recently when we were doing comparables yeah. and we were just like, you know, Toronto, Barry, all over the place. Yeah. That's where we were seeing some really high increases yeah. from November to February. Right. Um, and then we've had all the crazy sort of craziness over the last few months. And what's happening is they're just, they're just some of these areas yeah, and some of these segments have capped. Yeah. I mean, I think if we're seeing a slowdown, if there is any, any at all, it's extremely subtle. Um, it is. Yeah. And we're entering the summer, right? So We're entering the summer. And I, I do think that, you know, yes, we've got buyers and sellers uh, on our roster, but I do think, you know, look, step two is about to open up. It's opening right. up next week, a little bit earlier than anticipated. We've got great weather, um, you know, forecasted for our summer. I think people are going to take maybe a little bit of an eye off yeah. real estate and they're going to get on with their summer and just and get on with their lives. Yeah. Yeah. Get Not- that double dose. And they're going to get on with their lives. You know, hit the patios, go and get their hair done. I can't wait to get my nails done. And I think a lot of that is also going to happen. Yeah, so we're we're predicting in this podcast, I guess. Listen, Mm -hmm. the summer forever. I mean, you're doing this 20 years now, right? Uh, the summer i mean we do okay in the summer mainly because we're we're around um but but overall if you look at treb numbers they are quieter months because people aren't in the city as much as as they are in the fall i mean everybody kind of knows this right uh, but what we're saying is it will become especially as strong as a story but it will have basically no economic underpinning it's a natural consequence of going through covid and indeed what real estate does in the summer months in any case it's also in some respects, an opportunity for some buyers. Yeah, right? could and be. That, I, I actually have had some of my healthiest um, uh, sales in July over the years because I, you know, I've worked with a lot of buyers and we take advantage of lots of people being away. Yeah, and... but it's not, I, I mean, that said, I don't think it's just, when we're talking about sales, it's not just about buying momentum. If you've no. got people not listing over the summer as well, you've still got that kind of balancing act that goes on between buying and selling. Yeah. So as we are talking about the economy quite a bit in yeah. this podcast, um, what is the Bank of Canada up to, Ed? The Bank of Canada up to? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, quite a lot. I mean, not not all of it bad. Um Look, I mean, the Bank of Canada makes eight uh, scheduled press releases or or dates to talk to the people, I guess, about the overnight uh, rate targets. Um, And the last one was June 9th. Uh, It's interesting because they give you a short explanation of the factors that are influencing their decision on that overnight rate, right? So, um, 
it's really important for, for lenders and bro mortgage brokers to understand what their positioning is because uh, it gives sort of a critical insight into the economy as well as the future direction of fixed mm -hmm. and variable rates. And, um, you know, they, they were pretty, pretty positive, a uh, lot more than we've heard Very, before, yeah. right? So, I mean, and this was really, in their mind, was put down to the fact that, you know, the, uh, they believe that the uh, Canadian economy is expected to rebound strongly, um, mainly because of... Um, you know, a return to, to consumer spending. Um, and that, they, 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 they're seeing that. They think that's going to happen a lot quicker uh, because of the way that uh, the Canadian people have gone out in droves to get their first jabs and indeed, in, in our case, uh, second jabs as well. Um, they believe the housing market activity is expecting to be moderate but 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 uh, remain elevated. Uh, they obviously are super aware based on the fact that interest rates are so low and money supply is so good that um, uh, inflation will remain near 3% um, in the foreseeable future, I guess. You know, the, the inflation control ranges where they mm -hmm. start to get a bit wiggy um, is around 3%. So um, they're, they're within that, that tolerance, if you will, of 1% to 3% of inflation. But they're expecting, as we move through the year and people return to normal sort of patterns of behavior, fingers crossed, um, that it will ease later in the year. And the bottom line is they've their governing council at the, the, the Bank of Canada has committed to, to holding the policy interest rate um, at this quarter of a percent mark until the, uh, the economy is basically back on mm -hmm. a footing. So, you know... Um, they, they, they did mention that they expect interest rates um, across the board, I guess, to, to start to increase in the second half of 2022. Yes. Um, so, you know, we've got a, a good year before there's any sort of significant changes. But people who are looking at investing um, uh, probably should be modelling in some, you know, sort of two, two and a half percent, I'd imagine, for into 2023. Um, I mean, it, look, uh, and, and if, if you're thinking of, of, of buying a property and going in and what this all means for you when you're talking to your lenders or your your mortgage brokers is the, you know, the change in the overnight rate obviously directly affects people that buy into variable rate mortgages. If that goes up, yours will go up almost in lockstep, right? <laughs> yes. So, so if you're on those variable Variable rates, you can expect your your rates to go up sometime, um, uh, you know, at the back end of the of, of next year. Um, I mean, the other one, obviously, for the Bank of Canada, and this I think we've talked about this already, is quantitative easing. Uh, they've reduced their commitment to buying government bonds by twenty five percent. They're down to a whopping three billion dollars worth of bonds wow. that they've been buying up, but that directly affects five year uh, fixed uh, mortgage rates. So um, you can, you know. Yeah, pretty much certain to go up at, at roughly the same time uh, mm -hmm. because of that. So, um, you know, the, the Bank of Canada really haven't done much. Uh, they've just improved their forecast um, uh, in terms of the, their expectation on the economy. They obviously uh, cite caution around inflation and how they're going to toggle interest rates a little bit. Um, and obviously it's all dependent on the Delta variant and whether we get another uh, a, a big spike in cases at the moment as we sit here on the 24th of June um, we're down to something like 300 cases a, a day in Ontario things look pretty rosy but if we still start pumping again obviously they will uh, need to revise their thinking but yeah that, that's pretty much the Bank of Canada's position there's not really a huge amount of change you can look forward to a period of stability I guess at least for the next 12 months mm, okay well that sounds good yeah. sounds fairly positive yeah. um i think from a, a big 
picture perspective, um, most economists yeah. uh, that we've been listening to and, and reading about and you yeah, know, the word is out there, dog, yeah. um, expect GDP to rise what above pre-pandemic trends. You're crazy. Crazy, crazy shift from what we yeah, were hearing at the from, beginning of the year. Yeah, I know. Where it's, we were all in the mire. It's very, very different. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, the fact that Canada has closed the gap between themselves and the rest of the world in terms of vaccines. First gen vaccines, yeah, they have. Uh, at the top it's, pretty, end, they? it's pretty incredible. I mean, we were complaining <laughs> yeah. a few podcasts ago I know. about how embarrassing it was. Don't don't listen to those podcasts. <laughs> we look like whining English people. Well, I mean, they've really, I mean, you know, they've really turned it around. Yeah. Um, I think we are now second to Israel, sort of. No, pre- no, you know what? No, we actually, I, 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 I looked at it again this morning. I think we're the best in the world. <gasps> Israel capped out, I think their saturation was something around 69% wow. and we're in excess of that. So I think we're the most vaccinating country on the planet right now in terms That's... of first jabs. I think uh, I think it's what twenty near twenty five percent for second jabs as well. Which is, is it? Yeah, really, it's huge. Yeah, yeah. which is pretty yeah, amazing. Great. And I'm sure we're going to start. I, I know that um, uh, the government is still holding off on um, you know borders and people coming into the country and yeah. that, which is I think is yeah mm, cautious. It's cautious, <laughs> but it you know you I'm can't sure. Blame them. Yeah, I yeah. think they think they're trying to do that for the summer to keep our summer healthy. Yeah, I mean, you look at what's going on in the UK, and whilst the numbers aren't huge, they're they're they're, they're definitely going up again. Yeah. I think you know, at a high there at sixty thousand cases in second wave, and now they're at six thousand, and people are getting a bit yippy about that. But mm-hmm. I think with their vaccination as well, it's those numbers again. Yeah, I'm yeah, really interested lower. to see yeah. the fallout from that. Okay, so I think also the other things that are, that are interesting in the way these economists are um, expecting GDP to rise mm-hmm. in the way that it is, is um, the understanding of how to work with inside of the pandemic has become really much more acute Um, you know there's this flexibility and adaptability piece that I hear a lot of people sort of referencing I'm calling it flexibility and adaptability but the reality was we saw a massive retraction or or decrease in GDP in the first um, wave it went down like I think it went like 15% which is huge Uh, but in the second and the third wave it was negligible you could barely spot any decreases in GDP um, at all so you know businesses have adapted to 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 keep their they became ticking, a lot yeah, more creative. A lot more creative and yeah. uh, and, and crossed over into other uh, commercial or, uh, ways of doing business. Um, and, 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 you know, it, the flexibility piece is, I think, where, where did um, uh, people get affected? And we all know it's the service industry. And the nice thing, if you will, about the service industry is it's actually uh, a part of the economy that can kind of bounce back and get operating really, really quickly. It's not like heavy industry where you've got supply chain issues, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So if they went down, it would take ages for the economy to recover. But in the case of service industry, it's like, I don't want to oversimplify it, but it's kind of like, getting the people back to work um so i think assuming both of those things happen i think that's where they're they're pretty bullish on on what's going to happen with the country's economy uh, over the next year um the other thing i think is cash right oh my god the, the amount of cash uh that people are sitting on um i mean we know that the government um injected what about 300 billion yeah maybe a bit more than that uh, into you know the canadian economy but 
what actually which has actually happened is a hundred billion is sitting in households like in people's yeah, trading no, accounts wish um, we had half of it, <laughs> or a little bit of it and then um you know and and then there's businesses actually business- doing the same thing aren't they yeah. There's about 130 billion. It's a quarter of a billion dollars in cash that's just over and above the norms. Right. But when, you know, when things really do start to open up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they'll be spending it because they deferred all their services. Exactly. So they'll start, they'll start pumping money back in. And, and I think it's those things really that are causing people a huge, you know, optimism and these, these kind of nice, um, nice forecasting models coming out. Yeah, nobody's, I think that's nobody's where the recovery is, is really going yeah. to, to happen. Yeah, it's that combination of double vaccines, yeah. flexibility, adaptability, and, and the momentum through cash. And I summer. Mean, and summer, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, the only caution on all this is, and, and there's somebody that's kind of loosely interested in this, you know, the, the, the way that economies balance themselves. The, 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 the truth of the matter is that, you know, the government has been printing money like crazy and accruing vast oh, amounts of federal yeah. debt. And it's kind of this misnomer that's out there that it's like, oh, the, you know, the government will take care of it. Governments don't pay down debt, newsflash. Um, it's citizens that pay down debt. And, and as we said, there's a huge amount of money that has to be dealt with in the economy um, uh, at some point in time. I mean, you've got to, you know, we're dealing in unprecedented times in that respect because the government spending as a percentage of our overall GDP, i.e. the amount of money that kind of gets transacted and moved around our economy, um, typically sits at between 15 and 18%, and right now it's over 35% of GDP. So when a third of your GDP is tied into government spending and the government don't own assets or pay down debt, I mean, logically you should be a little bit concerned about that um you know and and also you've got an increased amount of stake in in government bonds by the bank of canada they're going to own very soon if they don't already about half of them whereas historically normally they own between 10 and 15 percent so you know there's a lot of government intervention around quantitative easing and indeed um you know, the, uh, the, the, the amount of debt. So, um, you know, the, the, the question that I think that sits with a lot of uh, people when they're looking at this massive concept is like, who's going to pay for it? And we know the answer is us, right? Oh, yeah. So, so I mean, what are the solutions? Well, and that's the thing. I mean, we know that higher taxes yeah. are coming down the pipeline. I mean, they, yeah, they have to. it's just what taxes are they you know i mean there's been a lot of talk um about capital gains tax and actually a capital gains tax um for primary residences yeah there's been so much resistance on that and i think that will be a pretty bad idea oh it would be suicide political suicide Uh, at all um i think you know people are talking about maybe increasing gst by one percent you know, I think if you do that, you create about $7 billion straight away. Right, that's so. a, which, is a, which is a game changer. Um, I think they're also talking about carbon taxes, um, increasing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, know. I heard that. So, I mean, it's just how they try and filter. At the end of the day, these decisions are politically motivated, right? And uh, when you've got a lot of different taxing options available to you, you're probably going to choose those before you 
choose the one that will get you voted out almost instantaneously. Well, I was going to say, the ele- <laughs> you know, elections, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I think that's going to have um, a, yeah. an effect. But, you know, I mean, at some way, shape or form, uh, it's going to come in a tax. Yeah, it will. It will. It has to. Listen, and and, and look, there, there are other sort of concerns, and I don't want to sort of dwell on it, but... Uh, again, for those any interested, I mean, the big the big thing around inflation is inflation and recession, if you will, are caused mm-hmm. by um, normally miscalculations in monetary policy, right? And right now we've got definitely the core ingredients for an inflated economy. And if monetary policy, like you look at the last big recession, it was like. increases in interest rates were uh, quite high and quick and it caused it caused bank failures right and all that kind of stuff so it's like the Canadian, uh, you know, the, the the Bank of Canada have to get that right. And I think there's a lot of economists that are advocating for early and small increases in interest rates to sort of toggle uh, inflation. And I think we're doing that. I mean, you look at the conversations that are happening in the market right now, um, you know, and, 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 and Canada's on it. I think they're probably front foot forward more than most um, Western economies, at least. Um the other thing is, we if monetary policy affects, um, and I, if this is too much diesel, I do apologise, but somebody might find it interesting. Monetary policy affects the the strength of the Canadian dollar. Now, ironically, a strong Canadian dollar isn't necessarily good for the country uh, because we are so export heavy. So mm-hmm. that I think uh, when the US dollar specifically buys uh, under 1.3 Canadian dollars, you can literally halve exports, uh, which would massively affect GDP. So monetary policy and the, the Bank of Canada are holding all the cards on this stuff. So let's assume that they act judiciously and well and smartly um, and and we'll we'll be in an okay position. But there are there are things around that we could uh, cause a, a few challenges. But I think also with all the um, income support yeah. um, that the government has um, given out has slowed down job recovery as well. Well, I mean, if you're in the service you know. industry and you're getting paid <laughs> more to sit at home than you are to, yeah. to work in the service industry, I mean, I can understand that. I mean, you look at, the, I read something about US, uh, US McDonald's almost unable to find people to work there currently, so... I think the bottom line, Ed, is that the um, economic outlook is pretty positive. Yep. Um, I mean, you know, the negative effects of COVID are deep, very deep, but narrow. Um, You know, I mean, proper recessions affect all industries um, and one that take longer to kickstart again, like manufacturing. Um, But the pandemic has really um, affected the service industry um, quite devastatingly. Yeah. Um, but the, I think the good news is, is that the service industry is pretty flexible. Um, and I think it's going to return very well, quickly. I think there's definitely a, a will for it to return and an opportunity, right? Right. Um, you know, and I think that combined with, you know, this pent-up demand for services um, and then all the excess cash in the economy, mm. um, I think the recovery is going to actually be pretty quick. Yeah. So what does this all mean, do you think, for, um, let's you know, we're at uh, 27 minutes now. What does this all mean for Toronto real estate, do you think? Um, I mean, I, I think... <sighs> 
we're still seeing supply issues. Yeah, no kidding. Um, and I, I really do think that that's going to continue. Yeah. And um, I think, you know, and some of this confusion that we're seeing right now, uh, you know, that's coming a little bit from the media is that some people aren't sure whether to list. So that's creating even more of a supply yeah. issue. Um, and I, I do think some buyers are taking a little bit of a break, but yeah. we know we're working with quite a few buyers. They're still out there. They're still yep. looking, but it's just, there's no supply, Yeah. right? There's no product. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I think there's going to be that upward pressure in price. Uh, I do think that the condo market is going to really remain quite strong and prices probably will go yeah, up. Yeah, and rental. Yeah, yeah and, and I think when people start coming back into the country, the rental market would will definitely start to pick up. I look, you've got to look at, again, like obvious things about demand, right? Mm -hmm. and, and supply. So let's look on the demand side of things. Now, whilst people think that everybody's going to be working at home forever, and that's the, 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 the data doesn't support that. There's certain industries... Um, that require people to go back to the office, I think something like 46%. So the that inevitably will happen. The city of Toronto will become back. very attractive once more. Yeah. I mean, and and here's the other thing that people aren't talking about because we've taken our eye off geopolitical stuff, mm. right? There's half a million Canadian citizens that could theoretically be returning from Hong Kong when the pandemic's over. Oh, yeah. You had all of that stuff going on with, what is it, um, one party, two systems that was just broken apart by the Chinese government. And there's a bunch of Canadians that have been trapped there through COVID that want to come home and they'll bring all that Hong Kong money with them as well. And that's a huge amount of people, right? Exactly. Um, and uh, yeah, there's other like uh, non-permanent residents, students for the rental market. That hasn't happened in the last year. Those guys are going to come back. And the big one that I think that, that uh, you know, nobody's talking about is Canada experiences a huge brain drain, some 150,000 very affluent, highly desirable global workers uh, leave Canada to go to cities, um, to go to, to, to go to other cities. Now, we've you know we've we've modern you can equally as well work as uh, you know effectively in your condo in toronto or your house in toronto in a job in new york now and nobody's gonna really think as much of it as they did before the pandemic so the likelihood of a significant percentage of those people staying in toronto is is is, is a lot more so there's lots of reasons for thinking even more demand is going to come back to the city of toronto yeah, and I, I really think that Toronto is, um, you know, I, I keep reading Canada is one of the best places to live. Toronto is uh, one of the best places to li live. I read something yesterday. I think it's um, one of the publications from the Financial Times. There's It's um, a list of the top countries. It's called Cities of the Future right. uh, in the Americas. And... Uh, you know, New York is obviously at the top, but Toronto has slowly been going up the rankings. So they're at number two right now. 
mm. ahead of San Francisco, which is pretty huge. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one of the reasons is that we, we are. We're a very attractive city in terms of, um, you know, global connectivity, um, business-like friendliness, uh, what we can offer in transit. Um, and so I, I really think that all those things, there are, there are more eyes on Toronto than we think. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I totally... That's so interesting and relevant. And I think if you add all of those things together, right, you know, we've taken our eye off international, right, mm -hmm. as um, as a driver for what is an international and world-class city because of COVID has forced us to look more local and, and insular. But come come the, uh, the control of COVID, these things are going to start to become a factor again. And given how buoyant it is currently, you know, these things are only going to, you know these considerations Absolutely. and return to normal patterns of behavior is only going to make toronto um more desirable and demand even higher than it is already so yeah the uh, prognosis from the toronto real estate uh, <laughs> podcast is that uh, <laughs> hold on to your hats in 2022 2023 because if you think it's uh it's crazy now it might uh, it might certainly stay that way well i think it's i think we you know i think the nice thing is that i really do think we're going into a healthy market we are we yeah are teasing a bit. it's yeah. great yeah we wish you well and luck in real thank estate thank you thank you very much for listening yeah if you uh, want to contact us uh, we are available um on um, all social media channels or just uh, drop us a line through our website, CherylOnHomes.com. Please follow our podcast. Uh, we love to see you following us. We can see you listening, but having a few followers out there is never a bad thing too. So we thank you for your commitment to us. And, and enjoy the summer. Enjoy the summer indeed. Take care. Bye now.